0: Hey everybody, David here. Uh, Just a note and apology up front on this one. I had a raging headache while we were recording this, which made it very hard to focus, at least initially, which means that I had a more meandering tone and I interrupted in places where I probably shouldn't have. And I straight up forgot to introduce Nicole and Ryan at the top, so it was awkward for them to come in initially. So this is partially an apology for me being a jerk, but it is also a note that. I get more cognizant of this as the podcast goes on, so if it seems a little too low energy up front, fear not. This conversation is actually extremely good, and I highly recommend it, despite the fact that I attempted as hard as I could on accident to screw it up, at least initially. Enjoy. Good morning, everyone. It's the Machination Log. It's a nice, low-key, low-energy Caked up in the non-drug sense. We got two movies that we're going to start out here. One of them you have certainly heard of, and one of them you may have heard of, depending on how old you are. Uh, We've got Sorry to Bother You, the 2018 darling from Boots Riley. And, what is it, 89? 89? Is when...
1: Yeah, this was at 89.
0: Do the right thing came out?
1: Yeah. It was like his second or third major motion picture. Spike Lee. Spike uh, Lee.
0: Of uh, Black Klansman fame, which I don't think we're going to get to during Black History Month, but uh, we we have what is supposed to be a much better representation of what he's capable of to begin with. Um, Who picked each of these films? I picked Sorry to Bother You. You did. So I guess I could intro that one initially. Uh, Sorry to Bother You is essentially a unionization tale <laughs> with a mild racial tinge to it. And what's interesting about the film uh to me is that for as woke as this film is trying to be, it very much is a labor piece yeah, rather than yeah. a race piece. Yeah. Um And you can be distracted by the white voice thing into believing that this is a,
2: and who, we're back. Yes. Yeah.
0: Sorry about that. Weird, strange logistical hurdles. Um, So, yeah, so Sorry to Bother You only seems like it's about race because it's got the white voice thing going on.
1: But see, I didn't identify, I actually identified with him more as a person of anxiety that just, you know, isn't great at jobs like I was than even the racial thing. Cause you know, we all have to put on our professional voice at work. Yeah,
0: exactly. This isn't, this isn't a uniquely black thing. And yeah. it's funny because they, the people that they choose to be the white voice in the film, David Cross and um, Patton Oswald. Patton Oswald. <laughs> are a very specific kind of white guy. Oh yeah. They're not even terribly confident white guys. They're no. a very, they're a very cavalry middle management kind of white guy. They're not the thought leaders like, uh, what's the guy's name, um, Steve Lift? Yeah. The CEO oh, yeah. of the company. Yeah. That's a totally different white voice. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's white because— And it's one that
1: David Cross does not have.
0: No, David <laughs> Cross does not have it. He would have to put on his Lift voice.
1: Yeah, David Cross would have to put on his white voice yeah. to be able to be that white. Yeah,
0: and I'm not sure whether— like. It remains to be seen whether that's possible. I haven't watched mm-hmm. enough of Mr. Show to be sure about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that movie is relatively straightforward. It's very eccentric. It's very quirky. And it's a very good time. Um, but we have a much more gray movie that we also reviewed. And uh, Nicole Ryan, which of you want to take that one?
3: Uh, so that Do the it. Right Thing is, was something that I really lobbied hard for to do for this Black History Month. Uh, movie movie Ganza, and for me, I um have you know i have seen this movie, God Almighty, back in the '90s when we first got into movies, yeah. Especially independent cinema. Because, I had not
1: seen it in the last decade.
3: Well, and Spike Lee really you know got busted his uh, got his chops really early on uh, in that in the independent cinema mm-hmm. scene. Um, you know back when movies were filmed on film and took a lot of effort and uh, financing to get made. Um, you know this was uh really had come out at the time and being, uh, been noted for being really well done, very famous in that, uh, in that culture. And I wanted to pick it for the second reason is because, you know, this movie is and uh, has a major point, I think, right? The major point of the film um, is about race relations, uh, specifically in American
1: society. It's about and- the ambiguity of them because this is not a black and white.
3: Yes, movie. Well, and this is what uh, oddly that, enough. And what, this is what also of course <laughs> makes it fucking great. I yeah. think like yeah. this movie this movie more so than a lot of other tales of um, you know race in society is not something that is going to you know come down on one side or the other, nor is it going to um, you know dress up any sort of coming harmony or equality between the races. Um, as some sort of ideal to look forward to. So, Dave, uh, David, you mentioned that one, uh, a lot of the characters in this film, um, you know, because this is an ensemble picture, um, are essentially all supporting actors. Um, but of course, the supporting actor Oscar for this year uh, went to Morgan Freeman for uh, Glory, uh, which is which is Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington for Glory. Yeah, uh, which is a movie about. The ideals of racial harmony <laughs> overcoming
0: all. Um, Wait, and how much more Hollywood can you get? Exactly.
3: Yeah. How much
0: more Tinseltown,
3: <laughs> how much more uh, made-up storytelling can you get than that idea as well? Yeah.
0: yeah, and instead they gave the Oscar nomination to the guy who plays Sal, who owns the, the Italian yeah, pizza, the Italian place. Yeah. pizza and place. Granted, he's very good. Uh, other than mispronouncing pizzeria as pizzeria, which annoyed me the entire <laughs> that's way through. lazy soprano's writing in the later the, seasons that's 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 incredible but the um it, it where what's the right way to attack this um we should probably try to lace through both of the films okay. a little bit okay uh, I, on I, their yeah, own. do we
1: want yeah i was going to say do we want to break down plot or it's it's going to be very confusing um, to keep going back let's in let's forest. do
0: sorry to bother you okay. first um, this movie takes place in a couple of chunks.
1: Yeah. Uh, it, it, so it, it should be pretty easy in to a, get in through. It place in an alternate reality in East Oakland. So we're we're sort of sci-fi, but not too far out there. We're just kind of, you know...
0: It's, it's Black Mirror-esque yeah. in terms of its uh, distortion not, field not, on reality. Yeah,
1: like not quite as far out as Idiocracy, but, you know, equally as... Yeah.
0: I mean, there's, there's a equally company... Equally as,
1: like, playful in its... Yeah, you it's
0: know, it's playful in a in the sinister way. that yeah. a lot of this stuff tends to be well, and and I am like a big
3: fan of movies that have like really sharp like tonal shifts in like storytelling in like emotional affect. Like, and this movie has one of the like really wildest left turns I've seen <laughs> in a movie. Like this, is, like this was something that when I when I when it revealed was revealed to me. Watching it for the first time because I'd would heard about this movie but I had you no know, knowing that I was going to see it I had avoided all sort of contact with any yeah. sort of it I I stopped following Boots Riley on Twitter because he would talk about the movie I'm like no I gotta, I gotta follow him <laughs> on Twitter because I don't want to fucking run into any shit and by the time I was at the end of this movie uh, uh, I was kind of flabbergasted you know I was like what did what the hell just happened what went on um, was that full on equine dick in the film unblurred indeed it was was. right like we're going
0: for it you know and we crossed that barrier three or four years ago yes but with this all is
3: permitted yeah but with this one full prosthesis not blurred middle of frame large screen here we go hd film yes yep we're here and i think that it was it like to me i fucking really enjoyed it right like
0: i really I really dug it Yeah, a lot of people did not like that twist, and I understand why, but I... It's a little
1: uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, but beyond it being uncomfortable, no, no, it wasn't a discomfort thing. Most people just don't like the back half of this movie. Okay. Uh, okay. Which, again, I, I... Understand for a bone that I have to pick with okay, the movie well, well, in why, Well, why is that, right? So if I, I fucking. Well, I guess let's it.
1: let's 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 get to a little. Yeah, well, let, we, can, we can we can work can our a, way through it. A, we'll
0: start. Let's start at the beginning.
1: I was gonna say if we just do a quick rundown, then we can understand right, why right. why the turn on this. Right. I'll is go get so some water. You guys run it. Fringy, um, but you know basically. So
0: Cassius Green uh, lives in his uncle's garage, which is revealed in maybe my favorite shot of the entire film. <laughs> um living with his girlfriend detroit all the names in this film are very good yeah um and it's i assume indicative of the fact that it was written by a guy whose name is boots um i think that probably influenced some of the choices here um but in any case um doesn't have a lot. Doesn't have a lot of prospects. He's down on his luck, uh, but there is a telemarketing job available, as there always is. And anybody
1: can get hired as a telemarketer.
0: Anyone can be hired as a telemarketer as long as you read and have initiative. Yeah. Well, but and but the
3: way that the movie sets this up, right, is that nothing nothing seems what it is, and then in the end, it doesn't. LOL, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Which is that the the opening shots of our hero is a close-up of of Cassius Green, the character, um, clutching an employee of the month uh, Plaque. plaque... And then brings into screen a like trophy he won in high school or some shit, right? Like like to a job interview. Yeah,
1: but both of these were fabricated because he was neither employed the month nor (laughs) won a trophy. But just the fact that he brought those showed that he had enough initiative to be a telemarketer. You got what it takes, kid. You can read.
3: Yeah. (laughs) And you can read and you can lie. Welcome to the world of online marketing.
1: So anyway, so then they're in the boiler room. They're doing their telemarketing job. Yeah, Cash has starts having some mild success when he adopts a more white voice. Well, they,
0: that that comes that that's part two yeah. of this. Before that happens, uh, there's the beginning of unionization. Uh, Cash has a handful of coworkers, including a, uh, a guy named Squeeze, who um, it's
1: basically like a plant. He,
0: what, that's what scabs would call him. Um, He is the union organizer for Regal View. Um, Regal View is a shitty company like every other, and most of the office politics that go on in this film, other than the manager who introduces us to the company itself, um, are the same shitty toxic people that everyone is familiar with from office work and from office shows yeah um these office movies yeah these are all the same stereotypes yeah um from all over the place my favorite is the um is
3: like the the, the manager they bring like the assistant manager they bring the the, the, the floor office manager ma- the office manager yeah. who's uh this woman is so cringe worthy you know in her um you know in her like playing to the fact that like there's like togetherness and care no
1: but this is and, but this is real life like, oh that's, my these but, people but not exist. to them
3: right like yeah. th- like that's the problem is that like they they always want you to like buy the bill of goods that this is like a family right that we're mm-hmm. a work family and that yeah. we're here to be together and, cheers
1: for peers yeah
3: <laughs> and but like once again you talked about just like something that captures like the feel or the tone that you've experienced, and the kind of like
1: a bunch of people who are like in a miserable America. job and are all mostly desperate because they don't make enough money to do anything and don't have many other prospects.
3: And the workplace culture you have to like accept. I mean, because you can't you can't reject it. No, right, Like outright. You can't you can't do that. You're not allowed. You no, know, you have to like absorb it and at least pretend to buy into because it because
1: right? you do at some point need what they're. You need, you need the money. You need the money.
0: You need the money, and also it will drive you crazy one way or the other. It's just a que- it's a question of the kind of psychosis you prefer, uh, because you can either buy it hook, line, and sinker the way that she does, yeah, or you can attempt to stand up to it. But standing up on your own does not work, which is why we the need, unions. Come we need
1: in. some organizers. Um, and
0: that begins, but before it can get too far. The white voice shows up
1: mm-hmm. uh
0: for what is essentially chapter two of the film uh danny glover introduces uh his white voice which i don't remember if he has a unique white voice or not but um danny glover not donald glover the old guy yeah <laughs> um, yeah. yeah is in this is in the cell next to cash and um he Explains that you can't really sell things over the phone with this sort of laid back tone that he is using. Yeah. And that he needs to bring in his white voice played by David Cross. Yeah,
1: and not sound so desperate. you got to act like everything's going well for you to be able to sell things.
3: Even
0: if it's not, you're confident yeah. that it will. Yeah. And what's what again is a little strange about this, especially given the way that it is named? It would seem obvious that this is a color-coded phenomenon, but no- nothing about this is a color-coded no, phenomenon. No, it's not.
1: This is this is general, like having to deal with the workplace phenomenon. Like this crosses, like I mean, this crosses over for everybody.
0: Any anyone in that building this is, is like putting meri- on this a is, face. This <laughs> is
1: meritocracy at its, you know. And,
0: And the way they visualize that is... It's not a
1: race issue. They'll hire anyone.
0: The the way they visualize this in the movie is quite good. Um, Whenever Cash makes a call, he is physically dropped Dropped. into the room in which the person he's talking to is located. It's
1: it's a good touch. It's startling at first, but then it's it's cool because it, it really does... Uh, show like illustrate the disruption that being a telemarketer is for both sides yeah of you know it's it's a good visual depiction it, of, it is
3: a fantastic little device be yeah
0: fucking really well done it, yeah it will and it, it gives it gives you the full it, it gives you a very full perspective of how ridiculous cold calling is oh yeah because oh, yeah. that is essentially what you were doing. You were coming down yeah. when people are on the toilet or eating dinner or any of these things. Yeah. And you were just rudely injecting yourself into their lives. Oh, answers the phone mid-coitus? <laughs> 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 it's a, that's such a great touch. <laughs> um, but it turns out uh, Cash is pretty good at the white voice. And uh, he is brought into the power caller group, which... Yes. Um, occupies the remainder of the building of yeah, a yeah. very so, nice. Elevator. So like
1: all the all the underlings in the basement are working on unionization and, you know, Cassius essentially gets a promotion right in the middle of everybody's big step t- to like uh go on strike. And and it creates creates conflict for him internally but not really at the job they're like hey you're moving up like fuck all these people well but it it does
3: kind of introduce a kind of if you will do the right uh, do the right thing kind of element to this right because for uh you know for Cassius his his dilemma is trying to you know obviously achieve and reach the kind of like basic stability that success can provide right because initially right we're set up that you know his uncle that he he, who's in who in in whose garage he lives
1: is also not doing well. Financially. Yeah, he, he, losing
3: the house and shit like that. You know, like it doesn't fucking matter if you pay me back, we're going to lose the place. You know, he's driving around in a car that has the manual, um, the manual windshield wipers, right? they yeah. so, like, pull the yeah, string back like and three, forth and three
1: different colored, like parts all attached to it. And, and so the two tone look, you know, but like the,
3: the, 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 the economic hardship of his situation is alleviated and really two is is really presented right what is the way out of the situation right well one is to go into um oh god what's the slave company um Worry free, oh, worry yeah, free. Yeah, so we should probably yeah, you, so touch
1: on, on this on the worry wait, free. So I will. I'm right, yeah, here, I'm right yeah, here. Yeah, let's do this. So
3: worry free is a company where you can sign a a lifetime contract to join this libertarian based pro uh, project. Uh, to you know, it is a it's a lifetime work contract. Yeah, it's a work camp. And you go and you have your own uh, you know like condo that you share with like four other people with bunk beds. It's so exciting, but it is of course. A fucking prison with wallpaper and doilies and shit like that. And
1: you know, you basically so We're taking it that economic times are tough enough that like this is an option for a lot of people. And like, can so s- getting a good job is not the easiest thing in this alternative reality. But it, Even it, it though it doesn't you don't necessarily feel that, but that I feel like that's what it's trying to produce.
3: No, but it solves the problem, right? Yeah, uh, three hots and a cot, man. Like, yeah, they you got
0: they, got the basic shit solved. They don't need to do that because all worry free is worry free does sit atop the the culture in which this movie was produced. It's not a it, it's not a pitch that had to be made that it sucks trying to make rent. Like this is the you don't have to sell the audience mm-hmm. on that. It, this movie takes place in 2018 or thereabouts. Everybody has lives it. in this reality, and the only thing that Worry Free um, has that uh, the thing that makes Worry Free an interesting institution in the film is that it is sort of a subconscious desire. It's a monkey's paw wish that a lot of people have about the way that corporatism works to begin with. I mean, it, it, and it harkens back to the concept of people
1: don't have to worry about finding their white voice.
0: (laughs) No. Yeah. Well, I mean, or their professional voice is really what I mean to an extent, but this is, this is harkening back to a time when a company was capable of providing everything that a government is supposed to. Um, The concept of company script from a century ago yeah. is brought forward into a universe in which the company can actually could theoretically provide all of those things if it didn't have a profit motive, which is supposed to be. And if the movie doesn't toy with this too much um, because we only see worry free on the television. It's uh, and in very um,
1: and like billboards and stuff like periodically yeah. throughout the yeah well, what's, what's it, the name it of the movie? pervades it, the consumerist
3: it, society that they're in right well, like
0: robocop is the one that robocop yeah. has i'd buy it for a dollar man this one has um it has a a show a game show where people just get the shit beat out of them yeah and then it's got worry-free commercials yeah. and that's basically all that's on television mm-hmm. yeah um and this is it it the concept of worry free again—it's it's sort of a promise that companies like Amazon and Walmart already make. It's the idea that you you know you could expand that out. Costco is in this mod. It, it's a company that is attempting to do everything for you, mm-hmm. um, and the only way they can close the loop is if you work for them. That's the one part of this that doesn't actually—it turns out—function because whenever you have a company that attempts to cater to all of your needs, it, while you provide. The bikes, the uh, the bicycle that keeps it moving. It turns out again that the, the profit motive comes into play. The movie doesn't toy with this very much again because uh, Cassius is too busy becoming a power caller. Yeah. Um. So instead, it focuses on another insidious side of this, which is where do the profits come from if the people peddling these bicycles are doing whatever manual labor, manual slave labor. It, whatever they happen to be doing.
1: Well, it's funny, too, because they always, always are like, oh, worry-free is just slavery. But like I said, again, it's not in a racial context at, at all.
0: No. It's yeah. Any, anybody can get caught up in this. Yeah. Anybody like, can sign a contract. Yeah. That's yeah. the point. It's contractual. Well, and no, actually, Ryan, that's... That's the perfect, that's, that is the part that I, I keep glossing over here. It is the libertarian form of government. It is a contract. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. You, know, you don't necessarily get born into it. You choose it, and therefore, it's all your fault. Yes. like You, have, you are fully accountable for all of the company's problems, because you're the reason you're there, mm-hmm. um, despite the fact that there's no other way for you to live, otherwise, you end up as the uncle who's getting his house and his car. Repossessed.
3: yeah, but libertarians are famous for seeing things out of context, right? Like they're just not providing the overall point and purpose of these things. They love a vacuum, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. and so so for, you know, for Cassius's character, right? Like what kind of grounds him as in as, you know, he moves through the the regal view uh, system? is this constant interplay between him and Detroit, right? And Detroit kind of is there to remind Cassius of
1: who he was, yeah, who,
3: well, who, yeah, well, yeah, who he was, who he is or something like that. But yeah. then also too, right. The idea of knowing what is right and doing that, even if it doesn't mean you enjoy the success that's that doing something, you know, make, Morally she's questionable actually, can provide because you.
1: Detroit is also. I mean, Detroit has her artist gig, but she's also working at Regal View on the side for a few extra. Yeah, bucks. she comes
3: in and brings yeah. it brings in as well, and then. But at the same time, it's you know she joins the picket lines, right? Like she is they are fighting for change within that system, and joins and and joins that struggle, which because of Regal View's connection to. Uh, worry-free, right, forms that kind of core, you know, the core mission for their fighting.
1: Well, and she's also part of the left-eye, uh, you know, corporate terrorist group that yeah, goes yeah, around yeah, exactly. and spray paints things and, you know, tries to send the message out.
0: It, I guess, does, it, does her character actually change over the course of this film? because she's definitely supposed to be the rock for at least part of it she is she is the anchor of morality for cash in the background but there's a point where she is <coughs> where she is doing a art exhibition yeah using her own white voice well,
1: yeah that's what i mean so i mean she she doesn't change that much but there is a, a, a there is a small amount of hypocrisy as there is cuz everyone's need everyone's got to put their white voice on at some point to fucking get by.
0: I'm just, I'm I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember exactly what she goes through. Her character may largely be static in that way. I think the white voice only shows up in the one scene. Mm -hmm. I don't think she uses it in any other scene. No, it's
1: only when she's at the gallery trying to either sell her paintings to rich people or, you know, doing her performance art, which is all the same scene. Um, yeah, that's the only time she does use her white voice.
0: Uh, that's getting ahead of ourselves, though. So
1: yeah, we're all, we're almost there. So anyway, so you know, Cassius gets
0: <laughs> almost where. Well, yeah.
1: you know, Cassius <laughs> gets heard. where gets, are we going? <laughs> Cassius gets promoted, and what the people upstairs sell is basically uh, worry-free labor to corporations. Um, so now Cassius is, and weapons, yeah. And Cassius, so Cassius is now uh, doing very well financially, but sort of, uh, well, Detroit seems to think that he should have more of a problem than he does morally with what he is doing by, you know, uh, selling out this worry-free labor. Uh, power corrupts. I mean, this, yeah. is, this is my
0: problem, again, that I, I sort of have a bone to pick with... Th- how flat the morality tale of this film is. I mean, the the fact that cash has been promoted into a morally compromised position has been done to death. Mm -hmm. Like this, this is not a novel trope within this film. Um, The one that is novel uh, happens in the house party. Yes. Which is where this movie takes a turn, which Again, Ryan, you you seem to have enjoyed pretty thoroughly. So he um Cassius is doing so well at uh at being a power
3: caller, which what are the power by the way, what are the power callers do? They convince people to use worry-free labor. Yeah. right? So he does so well at this that he gets invited by the other uh the other black uh call uh, salesperson uh to the party, uh who is uh Lift Steve Lift is his name. Or yeah. that?
1: He's like basically the st- yeah, he's Steve Jobs a, or the Bezos yeah. of this he's, alternate. No,
0: he's the Jack Dorsey. Yeah, okay. yeah
3: exactly. he is. Oh he is
0: exactly that guy.
1: <laughs> okay.
3: So they bring. Uh, so he goes to a, this big soiree party at his place, and it is the typical kind of bizarre, upper crust, elitist kind of mindset that goes through this.
1: It's like vapid um, and wasteful.
3: The, and yeah, absolutely. The only time. Um, the only time um, he's the
1: novelty. He's like the novel black person yeah. there, and there's a good rap scene that plays out on that.
3: He um his uh his ment his mentor, right, the the other black uh, power caller, uh who's by the way, we can't give him a name because he they bleep his name out. Right. Like not only does he know he's like white voices only, you know, like yeah um so he only speaks in it he only ever hear him in a white voice except for one moment. And that's kinda key when that one moment comes, right? Um because Cassius is there after this rap scene when he has to kind of degrade himself by performing this like rap this it's really Does, yeah really really great it's, scene it's
1: a great um, scene
3: but he has to do this rap for the guests that steve list is like you're black of course you can do this and like you know so it, it devolves from there but then because
1: um, cash is is very emo and he's not very hip-hop type of black guy i mean he's constantly worried about the sun blowing out and dying all the time yeah. like it's He's a little, he's he, a little introspective. Yeah, he's he's definitely on the more introverted side. So of the, his um the spectrum.
3: His mentor tells him, you know, that like, look, you know, it's time to go. You know, lift is waiting for you in the back, so to speak. And what they say is is really crucial. He uses his black voice for the first time, his real voice for the first time, and he says, "Look, man, there's nothing here. It's it's what we're doing here is about opportunity, mm-hmm. right? And this is your opportunity is waiting for you here, you know, and you need to go and take it and, um." So, you know, he goes back and he meets with Lyft. And uh, uh, so Lyft, you know, has them, you know, they do some cocaine, quote unquote, uh, potentially. But it
1: it is, yeah, it's weird. So he does, he gives them this line of cocaine and it's on this like creepy little plate that has a picture of Bobo the horse. Yeah. And you're like, okay, that's a little odd.
3: And then he has him go, and he's like, I got to pee, man. He's like, Well, no, got to watch this video. Got to watch to video first. And he's like, No, no, I got to pee first. He's like, Fine, go pee. It's in the you know 19th door on the left or some shit. And so yeah, he goes there's like down. all these
1: green doors. He opens the wrong door. He
3: Opens the wrong door, and what he finds in this uh, very creepily revealed scene, what he finds um, is this bizarre human horse fucking hybrid, right? That's that begging
1: like, for help. Yeah, and begging that seems for, to kill be in pain. me. Polly
3: shouldn't be kind of pain. Falls, yeah. stumbles out of this thing, and and like I said, full naked equine horse cock glory. It's fucking both shocking, horrendous, and comical. Yeah, yeah. Fucking, but then comical at the same time. Yeah. I mean, the the moods by this time have fucking so um, blended together. Um, so when I when I looked at the fucking um, when I looked at the fucking uh, uh, IMDb page, it says this movie is like romance, uh, comedy, and sci fi. All like for like how it's labeled. And the sci-fi element, obviously, I guess, comes
0: from this component of the film, which I, I guess, certainly
1: wouldn't ro- like romance. I wouldn't. Uh, it's got a woman in it. I anyways. mean, it has a woman in it. It's got a winner still. over. Yeah,
0: romance is a little weak, but there. that's no, a little it's, stretch. It's, it's science fiction, almost to the exact same caliber as RoboCop. Yeah. 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 And so, so, but this thing, right? I mean, this this movie. This is like.
3: Hard left turn, right? Like yeah. before, what everything that's been happening here? Well, we
1: were, you know, it has like, been seemingly
3: yeah, realistic. Yeah, there is
1: like some, there is some tension because it's like you know this has to go somewhere, but it was you, you you're not ex- because you know that like Lyft isn't just going to like promote this guy right. to some fucking CEO, but this was a. L- it was a hard laugh.
3: We were like in, we were in the realm of like safe satire. You know what I yeah. mean? Like we were like, we were like comfortable, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, there's some, there's some camera jinkiness. Like, oh, he's not actually in the houses of the people he's calling, but yes, I like it. Keep yeah. it coming. But then no, 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 no. Full naked equine man on the floor writhing in a hot, steamy, tiled well, environment. And
1: th- th- this is great because then the, like, I love like the, the, just kind of the way it, handles this is so when he comes when cassius comes running out of the bathroom steve lift is like oh the only reason you're freaked out is because you didn't watch the video yeah. <laughs> you're supposed to watch this video and uh it's this fabulous claymation about how um whatever the company is because does Steve Lift own Worry-Free? Is that yeah. what? Oh, or is he, he, he some Everything. Subsidiary? everything. Okay.
3: Yeah. He owns everything.
1: Yeah. You know, it, it starts with like the dawn of man and using tools and then says that, you know, we're just making the best tools, which is by making a human horse hybrid that'll be more efficient in the factories and that profits will be endless. And there's this fabulous, awkward claimation that breaks all this down. And it's great because... Steve is like, well, you just needed to watch this video to understand. And then even after the fact, when you see this video, you're like, how would this have made the situation any better? <laughs> like, you would be just as fucking disturbed if you had watched that and not seen the naked horseman like beforehand. Mm-hmm. But here we are.
0: Again, a- another libertarian fantasy. Yeah. Fulfilled. Yeah. Uh, if you watch enough hours of these people, this will all make sense. Um, but the thing is... It, by not passing there's there's a set of validity batteries that um are used in experimental psychology and in a variety of other fields adjacent to it um there there are things like cross-reference whether or not you know certain studies can be considered valid when rated against each other or within themselves one of the types of validity is called face validity and it seems like a cheap version of it because it's not a metric it's not like a numerical thing it's literally does this make sense when you look at it okay does the correlation that we're measuring does the causal agent here make any intuitive sense and this fails face validity right um (laughs) like no amount of explaining there's nothing that could have been in that video in some sense
1: yeah that would have made this okay
0: that would have validated this approach Mm -hmm. um and again it's like the it's it's like the fact that we kind of know that everybody is in these shitty dire straits um without being expressly told that um we, we kind of assume the world sucks the way that the world presently sucks um, the the libertarian fantasy here, which again is tied directly into Worry Free. Worry Free was satire in the realm of RoboCop up to this point, yeah. and then becomes sci-fi. On it's it's a Star Trek episode at this point. Like it's it's gone a little farther, and I understand why a lot of people don't like that because this suddenly becomes much uh, the the stakes from a technical level become much higher when you start introducing genuine fantasy um it took us a long time credit where credit's due to put out superhero movies that felt like they were at the speed they needed to be for the kind of plots they were trying to construct i mean you can argue that no one should be making hours that are two and a half going on three um when (laughs) when you're putting together a fantasy movie with 35 characters, but if you're going to do that, you need to be very, very quick about the timing. Because if you try to just sit in a superhero world, it unravels. It unravels on you because it doesn't. It doesn't actually work. Mm. Physics are being suspended, and the longer you have to sit and stew in a puddle of suspended disbelief, the, the more, more likely holes you, you find. are. You, yeah, the illusion's going to break. Yeah. The white voice thing was not that. The white voice thing is literally... It's, it's like a dramatization of a real phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Like, I have a white voice mm-hmm. um, that I accidentally use by default. I'm sort of backwards for most people. I have to try to sound more natural. But in any case, that ends up being... If, if, I, were to be, um, if I were to be portrayed in this film, uh, they would have to pick someone who has an actual expression for me to for me to be there um and they would dub me over in the same way and it would be as unconvincing as it is in this film but despite the fact that that's obviously fantastical everybody knows what they're getting at when they do that
2: Mm -hmm.
0: the horse thing we don't know we don't know what this actually is we know it's a surrogate for (laughs) the horse and animal farm for all intents and purposes um But we don't really know what to make of that. We don't really know what the horses can do. And the movie doesn't have time to explain it. No, no. So... And it's
1: also vague as whether, you know, because now this, in the true libertarian sense, of course, you know, Steve is like, oh, no, well, this is all consensual. Like, you know, they're, they're not just like forcing, you know, like these people signed a contract for this. And that's in fact what he wants Cassius to do because he wants to plant Cassius as the MLK of the equisapiens that he has like an inside man in case they rebel. Well, he wants
3: his own plant, right? Yeah. It's like what he wants. But he, you know, but he
1: acts like this is all above board. Like he would never, he, you know, he he would never force Cassius into this without him signing the contract. Like I said, it's all, this is all very libertarian and it's contractual agreements. Um, You know, but of course Cassius is, Still concerned about this because he just did that line of coke off that weird fucking horse <laughs> saucer. And in this claymation movie, they show that uh, the way to give the people the horse catalyst is through what looks like a line of coke. So, yes. um, you know, we're we're that's basically left on the table. You know, Steve Lift is like, Oh no, it's cool, you have you don't have to agree to this now, just think about this. Yeah. And he gives him a little note that says he'll pay you like a hundred million dollars yeah, for five that, years of service. I think it's literally Yeah, you know, but go million. sleep on it. Yeah. You know, like I'm not forcing anyone into anything.
0: No, no one's forcing anyone no. into any of this stuff, although they are in the background. Um, attempting to build a counter-insurrection force. Yeah, like they're they're planning. They're doing a whole lot of planning for something. For something that that's is,
1: voluntary. <laughs> something <laughs> that's
0: voluntary on its face. Um, but from here, again, the movie.
1: I don't it actually know. wraps up pretty quick after this too.
0: Well, and I, I said when this um, when this reveal happened, my immediate first thought was like. They got a half an hour left. I don't know what they're going to do with this because they've just, they've introduced so many questions lore wise that this movie is just not at a pace to handle. And they just, they don't, they they don't address it. Um, The one thing that uh, frustrates me in this, um, I'm not as frustrated with it as most people seem to be. including literally everyone I know who talked to me about, not specifically about the endings oh, see, details. Oh, I didn't read any of the
1: reviews.
0: I just, I know that people don't like it. Okay. Um But there is a throwaway thing that I wish had been more of a focal point of the film in its entirety, which is that Cash tries to get the word out mm-hmm. about the equi Yeah. And it turns out that in a world that is driven as much by profits as this one is in a, in a world that is as devoid of a moral center as this one. It's actually a good thing when it leaks. And this is a topic that is not toyed with enough in any movie. There's an idea that sunlight is the best disinfectant that permeates a lot of films. And part of this is our reverence for journalism um, coming through. But it's the idea that these that these are secrets the companies are holding that would ruin them should they get out when it turns out people have this perverse reverence for the efficiency of business mm-hmm. that completely counteracts that yeah i mean the fact that we know all of the devious insane things that banks get up to that military like we know the military industrial complex exists there's this profound reverence for how effective it is Yeah, um, that keeps it, even when we learn all of the things, I mean, what um, a, a perverse, weird version of this is playing out right now in the, uh, in Congress uh, with Elliot Abrams, who is being sent back to the only part of the world he's ever known and loved Latin America, where uh, he's responsible for a hell of a lot of war crimes, but he knows what he's doing. So we're going to send him back to Venezuela to uh, see what he can do down there, uh, despite his almost spotless track record of lying to Congress and supporting insurrectionary forces that are just awful. But he's our guy. He's our guy, and we know he can do it. And that's all we need. Worry-free is this mega conglomerate and they've just demonstrated that they can do something profoundly evil no one is in an immediate position to stop them
1: so let's tag along so it's good it's good for everybody yeah, yeah so and the I mean, movie
0: doesn't the, the movie doesn't play with that and I, I was frustrated with that like it's it's literally tossed off for a laugh and yeah well, i was because it, frustrated it, it's by it.
1: funny cuz it's the way all this wraps up it you know it kind of downgrades cuz of course you know Cassius is in this precarious situation he's going to divulge all this he thinks he goes on the show where they kick him and fucking humiliate him and make him go in a pile of shit before they'll play his video to release this, you know, he'll show his equisapien video. Um, you know, and of course, like, like you said, this is all positive for the company. So the company is good, but he's still, he still has his sorry to bother you stuff. So he goes back to the ranks and we're going to fucking go back to the unionizers because, you know, morally he can't, stand up for this even though i mean at the end of the day it doesn't fucking matter like it doesn't matter that it it
0: it gets weird yeah it gets very weird
3: yeah so this is why i like the film you know because it doesn't feel it has to it doesn't feel it has to balance out the other side of the scales which is which would be like where morally do these things fit in how do they resolve in the plot like are they people I like no no that like this is like the fucking starkness of what happened in this, the plot-wise in this film, um, because once, always, as I like to joke, right? Cinema is amazing because anything can happen, but when something not normal happens, like people like freak the sorry fuck to bother out. you, yeah, people like freak the fuck out when like non-normal shit happens, or when the fantastic isn't normalized. Mm-hmm. And sorry to bother you fucking what refuses to normalize the fantastical elements within it because it once the, the, the excess is the point, right? The same way that so much of the, of the excess in our society is simply because like, well, it should be allowed to exist because you know if someone can make it happen then it should be allowed to happen and
1: they can dream it they can do that's it that's the thing man the, 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 we're what, not going to fucking stop them
3: it's it's really telling when people ask why don't i like this film and yet why do i accept the way the the the, the society that we that these critiques and this film is based off of right like people just blithely accept the fucking fan- the the just absurd levels of fucking um hedonism, of fucking viciousness in yeah. our society well, and without without question. And then this film comes along and it says like, let's just tweak this up a little bit and people are like, Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, like is, I don't the, like this the, at all.
1: Whatever the un- kid the Asian Union organization Squeeze Squeeze. Is is, a, is he the one who says that, you know, like when people see behavior that makes them uncomfortable and they can't do anything about it they just like learn to accept it as normal yeah and that's basically what you know ultimately you know ends up happening when he releases this equisapien video is you know most people are just gonna assimilate and as this is gonna become their new normal like they're just gonna fucking deal with it but
3: he doesn't like he doesn't have to like there's no rousing speech there's no like necessary nature to like you know like how do they get out of this easy they just let loose the equisapiens right like they fucking like Somehow break into the fucking place yes. and let the Equi-Sapiens yeah, out. And is yeah. its is, is it ham-handed? Yes. Okay. Is the is the fucking plot device that allows this to happen not like gone into in great detail and made a point of how the... No, they just fucking punch in some numbers and let them loose and fucking have yeah, it rains. Yeah, yeah, because
1: basically our, our wrap-up, our big final fight is that he joins the Unionizers. They're actually going to stop somebody from going in that building that day. So they have their big thing and part of this is to get the Equi-Sapiens on board because obviously they're fucking angry about shit um yeah so then there's a big riot at the end of this and the equisapiens come and save the day yes it's a little bit out of left field but you're like okay yeah that's great sure
3: yep and then he goes back to his to the house seemingly in a better situation now living with the, uh, detroit in the garage that has been upgraded
1: yeah uh, but then then he has some horrible pain right at the very end of the movie and his nostrils start getting bigger yes and he so becomes maybe, yeah, his own yeah. equisapien yeah, and then there's just a small clip after the credits, or after the credits already start rolling, that show Cassius as an equisapien with the rest of the equisapiens that he had let loose, going uh, to attack Steve Lift.
3: Yep. Yeah. Roll credits.
1: Roll credits. Well, credits have already actually been rolling since this scene. Roll more happens. credits. Yeah. yeah.
0: Additional credits. Yeah. It's.
1: Yeah, the- you're just like, whoa, like that. It, like I said, so it covers like a lot. In not very good depth like all in the last 30 minutes
0: and to give it some slack i mean what what is the happy ending once you've introduced there's no the happy horses, ending yeah once you have mutated the nature of labor in such a basic way i mean they clearly are going to kill steve Lyft. but i mean even though that is obviously not a perfect solution it's a Many-headed Hydra. I mean, what what is the perfect solution? What is the Hollywood ending to this film?
3: Doesn't pretend to understand it. Yeah, it that, there is, hap- yeah, they're fucking equisapiens. You know, like there is no answer to that that but anyone would accept. Yeah, there is no. Well, there there's
0: no clean. I mean, if we no wanted to make this less
1: awkward, we could have you know assumed that Steve Lyft was uh, you know honest and is not forcing anyone to do it, and then that line was actually cocaine, like he told him. But you know, like. We know that Steve Lift is a psychopath. We just don't know how much of one to like that. Very and
3: by the end, end, we know. Yeah, yeah, he earns his death in the yeah. end. Yeah, which is fine. <laughs> like that's the thing. Like mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know what because there are so few movies made with that that strike this kind of originality to me. Right? Like this is one of the, like one of the more more original films. I was it
1: fun. There was some really just yeah. There was some really fun stuff in this. And for
3: people who like who want different movies, who want things that are different, who want things that try new things. Right. Like going to see this movie and coming out with like, well, actually, there were some pretty frustrating fuck off. Right. Like, like, well, don't 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 let's not like get too heavy handed on this on this film that first off, I think, knows the broad critique it wants to make fucking satirizes corporate consumerist culture to to one of the best degrees. I mean, this you you keep mentioning RoboCop and robocop you know fails if anything because it is a little bit too realistic right like it sneaks in its satire underneath the back door this film just opens the trunk and starts giving it to you wholesale right (laughs) like it's not going to stop and from that perspective too i like it the fact that the film kind of fucking slams on the gas pedal for the last half of the movie and says we started this ride we are
0: fucking ending it well the scary part about drawing that specific analogy though i i do think robocop is in many ways the perfect parallel from another era to this film, is that RoboCop only does um, seem realistic now because it's thirty years later. Right. Are I, you, mean, I dude, I'd be fucking
3: frightening if we watch back. Watch. Sorry to bother you after thirty years and look, have the same perspective as I, RoboCop. That'd I,
0: be the odds that there would be a company store style commune in thirty years are extremely high. That's yeah. I saw some
1: meme about you know when I'm living in my. Amazon issued nursing home and like using my jewel e sig or something. And I was like, Oh God, Amazon wants future. to get into the school business. Yeah.
0: I mean, they, they want to do this. Oh God. It is more. War- and RoboCop is, I mean, to quote my dad's favorite line from the thing, I had a 30 year contract with parts. Basically you take mm-hmm. that line <laughs> and you extrapolate it into a movie. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what RoboCop oh,
3: God. is. Yeah.
0: I'm um, yeah. not. I'm not feeling good. All of a sudden, yeah. I've got a bad. I feel sick. And Squeeze gives the same line that epitomizes what happens in Sorry to Bother You: the the crushing acceptance. Um, oh, it's shit. it's what you are forced to kowtow to. I have a lot of I have a lot of technical nits to pick with the film, which I won't go into on the basis that a I would definitely need to take better notes to be sure that I'm not missing something, but b it's Boots Riley's first film, and for a first film, it's a very,
1: very good. Yeah, movie. I thought it was. I thought it was a pretty good effort for a first time. No, this is a broad strokes movie. Getting
3: down into the weeds and the nitty gritty and the thing doesn't. I don't know how many lessons are to be learned from that. And it, in the in the end, it like you know just like open up your pu- pupils a little bit here. It's like let this thing come in and let the big let the big and broad strokes hit you right. Because there's not. Uh, it's not to say that the movie lacks depth but that the main enjoyment of the thing i think just comes from its overarching point and from and i think which also is fun because i think in the exact opposite way right do the right thing kind of is entirely different right they both of these movies have like big broad issues and points to make whereas you know sorry to bother you i think loses a little bit on kind of like finding those nuances and details and understanding each character's relationship and interaction and is there a deeper meaning behind a lot of this or do they are they emblematic of something wider Sorry to bother you, kind of loses that a little bit, right? Yeah. But, but do the right thing does not. So are you transitioning? Yeah, but we're going to take a break first. I
1: was going to say, yeah, let's take a little break.
3: The only, the only frustrating thing is that um, apparently she filmed this in one day. It took her eight hours of dancing to film all these sequences. Oh, wow. And uh, secondarily, um, she's also upset because the reason her face, are not, uh, her face is not in the scene where he's rubbing ice on her uh, breasts... Is because she was crying because she he made her do it, so get that going for you. So. Cool.
1: So, so their professional relationship was as awkward as yes, it does seem strained. Yeah. As as like the relationship in the movie
3: it does seem like so.
1: It's
0: it's not a perfect film, but we love it just the same. And we're back. Uh, we're here to talk about do the right thing. Um. I've, proposed that we're just going to gloss over the plot real quick and then talk about characters because the character interaction is the entirety of this movie um it is about a community and the ways in which it does not (laughs) gel so uh that seems like the way to go about it um this movie takes place on one city block in bedford stuyvesant brooklyn it is a mostly black community. Yes. However, there is an Italian-owned pizza restaurant, uh, Sal's famous pizzeria, <laughs> as they keep fucking calling it, <laughs> and then some jerk off with a bike. Uh, oh. Everyone else is black. And or then there's a,
1: there's some Koreans on the other side of the street that have oh, a right. small grocer. fruit
3: and fruit and veg stand or whatever. Yeah. It's yeah. called. yeah. Uh,
0: it's fruit like and the veg neighborhood bo- and bodega. And yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a very hot day outside. And everybody is getting a little jumpy, they're getting a little tense, and the kind of tension that builds in this community is racial in character, um, mostly perpetrated by a character by the name of Buggin' Out, who we will get back to. But essentially, a boycott goes awry, a black man gets killed by the cops, and then as revenge, the pizzeria is destroyed. A staple of this block. It's been around 25 years. 25 years. And the movie mostly revolves around, if the critics can be believed, <laughs> revolves around the quandary in the title of whether or not Mook, the protagonist, played by Spike Lee, who is a 25-year-old delivery man and a not quite a truant. He does show up to work, but it takes him a while to get there and he's he's slow getting back.
1: I mean, he's representing some certain stereotype of his work ethic.
0: He might not be the best employee. No, probably not. No, Uh, he might be the best employee at that pizza place.
2: (laughs) No,
3: yes, but overall in the wide scope of people who have worked.
0: Yeah. This movie is funny because it, it is from an era when even if it wasn't necessarily harder to fire people. It's clear that work ethic, um, our, our parents are very nostalgic about how studious they were. Um, and this movie sort of proves that rule. I didn't see one person in a review talk about how unbelievable it is that Mook could be employed by Sal, the guy who owns the pizzeria and not be fired for the way he behaves. No one can get away with that in a service industry job anymore. That is, uh, it doesn't matter. This
1: is a thing of the past. That is
0: absolutely an anachronism. Um, business has moved on since then. Um, but that's getting ahead of ourselves. So I kind of want to start with Sal. I want to start with the guy who owns the pizza place. He doesn't live in the place. He has two sons who also work. It's family
1: Vito business. and Pino.
0: Yes, those are actual names, not not Italian stereotypes. Those are actual
3: <laughs> yeah. those are their actual character
0: names, though they are also Italian stereotypes um they drive in they don't live there,
1: yeah, because they actually can't afford like to own a pizza place in their neighborhood because there's a already competing pizza places, and B rents much higher wherever they, it is they whichever neighborhood it is they live and Ben. Benson Hurd or whatever the fuck. What, Bedford Stuyvesant. Bed Stuy. No, they don't live in Bed Stuy. Like the neighbor, I forgot. I think they did say the neighborhood that they come from. But oh, it's not. It's not where the pizzeria is.
0: But they don't make a good enough slice to be anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, um, they're not gentrifying their neighborhood in that particular way. Sal is fascinating though, because he is, <laughs> despite the fact that this film is directed by. A black man um sal is clearly a character you're supposed to be able to connect with and the academy did uh yeah, he yeah. was nominated for best supporting actor in this film which is almost entirely an ensemble cast of black people uh, and, and and sal yeah uh, yes. who was going to be played by robert de niro if you need any reference for what this for guy how acts italian
1: like. this guy is yeah, supposed to how, be yeah. acting
0: for the way he
3: behaves um but well, ironically, he uh, Robert De Niro couldn't film this movie because he was too busy playing an Irishman in Goodfellas. So I don't know, you know, just <laughs> about. I us had to throw that out there. Excellent.
0: Also, Robert De Niro is on the Wall of Fame, but yes. we'll get we'll get back <laughs> yeah. to that. But but Sal, Sal wants to believe he's earned what he's got. Like Sal, Sal is the quote unquote hardworking, almost lower class white guy who's if if he hasn't been kicked around by the system, it certainly hasn't done him too many favors. Like no one's burned down his pizzeria in, over the course of twenty five years. Um, he seems to he seems to make a profit. He seems to be able to pay his employees. Yeah. Like he doesn't he doesn't do all that much under the table business. Um,
1: I mean, he's not rolling, but he's making a living.
0: but he's also the reason why Radio Rahim gets killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Radio Rahim being one of the many, many colorful characters in this film. uh Radio Rahim is the kind of person who scares most other people for good reason because he's a little unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Um He walks around with a giant boombox motherfucking ghetto blaster yes
1: he only plays public enemy
0: he only plays one song so. on one track <laughs> he plays one track on one tape uh fight the power and um he is it's what
1: speaks to him yeah yes. it's a good song
0: and he's big and he's got a really unexpressive face and he talks emphatically when he does
1: but he doesn't talk much.
0: No, he doesn't talk much. And
1: uh, when we do see him, we're in this like, wide, almost fisheye fish angle, which gives him a very... Like, uh, yeah, cameras, look, cameras placed downward looking yeah, up looking at him up in a lot of him. scenes yeah. when he's
3: communicating directly with people.
0: No one's taller than Radio Raheem Yeah, in
3: the film, absolutely. Like,
0: no one's taller than him. The camera has to look up at him. The camera in general looks up a lot of the time. In this movie, um, and what part I can
1: tell is because Spike Lee is like four feet tall. Yeah, yeah he's pretty. He's pretty short. Yeah.
0: I, it would be interesting to know whether or not. Um it'd be interesting to know whether or not that was intentional the um or uh, it, it reflects the way that spike lee literally physically sees the world yeah. because he plays he plays a kid in this movie just yeah, like a young he, guy yeah 30. he's like
1: 31 32 when this came out and he's playing yeah a pizza delivery boy basically he's he's fry from futurama
3: yeah that is, <laughs> that is fucking really well done actually <laughs> but sal too right so w- within sal right like um so I think part of what I just, I'm going to make a broad point and then we'll bring it back to Sal. Yeah. Um, Why I fucking love this movie is that it is not overly moralistic. It is not clear cut. It allows so much of what the, you know, quote unquote, this movie is about, right? The larger things that are being addressed in this film, right? This film relies and has a certain ambiguity in the way that it presents itself and while a lot of times ambiguity especially within a plot for example we could argue like within sorry to bother you right like a lot of time ambiguity is a way to get out of a difficult device a difficult situation you've gotten yourself into in filmmaking right like you know we can just kind of skirt our way around this and you know avoid this problem you be like
1: oh it's artsy we don't know how it ends
3: but what is so well done about this film is that the complexity of, you know, race relations in general, the complexity of the ways in which it allows each character its own space and their own story to kind of come through, right? Sometimes the character will tell us their story directly, almost directly into the camera. Other times they will uh, reveal it or talk to other characters and revealing, you know, what got, what brought them to this neighborhood on this day. Um, but the ambiguity comes from the fucking complexity of the, of first off, the, the, ending dynamic and situation of the film but also the fucking wider difficulties of the fact that i find that this these are very human portrayals uh, the characters in this film are some of the most humanist and human like people, I have seen. Mean? They, in go, they go from
1: being likable to unlikable to likable. Oh they go back and forth because, like, they're constantly doing some stuff that works and some stuff that you're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And so, Sal. Like, just, I mean, all. And, and this movie takes place all over the course of, like, a single day.
3: Yes. And so, Sal, as we see him, he is. You know, uh, his sons run the pizza parlor with him, and he kind of operates along this line of, like, look, let's go along to get along, right? Like a
1: patriarchy, too, in, like,
3: the way Yeah, like well, this. he's the boss, yeah. but he's not hes not overbearing, right? If anything, he's a little bit... He's a little bit... He lacks a little bit too much... Gu- he lacks the right amount of guidance, right? His kids are constantly fighting between each other. They're constantly giving Mookie shit. Mookie's like, fuck off, man. Everything's fine. Well, it fine. all goes and, down.
1: Like, you know, Sal says something to... Uh, Pino. pino pino then tells fucking Vito to do it and then Vito is like the end of the line so he either tells mookie to do it or tells him to go fuck off or they end up hiring a homeless person to do it because like everything just kind of rolls down
3: well in Sal, though, he <laughs> feels i mean he's not he's not portrayed as someone that has like a chip on his shoulder or that it like is upset with the station and where he's where he's at as well right like i think initially right like there's some fucking there is a I find Sal to be a fairly positive influence on the yeah. dynamics that are happening around him, which, of course, sets us up for later when he fucking loses it. Yeah. Right? Like, he fucking loses it. And I think that's the fucking core thing to kind of get across from it. When he loses it, it is a rather striking moment in the film.
0: Well, and the way that he loses it is it is a response to an environment that has changed around him. Mm-hmm. And it w- again it's it it's weird that Sal is supposed to be a sympathetic character in a film where it, Spike Lee had all the he, he had all the leeway necessary to turn Sal into an absolute caricature. He could have done that um and this movie would have just fallen into the dustbin like any other film that is about getting one over on the powers that be
1: on the man,
0: but, but Sal, Sal is such a sad representation of the powers that be like Mm he, he is a profitable pizza place in a rapidly anti-gentrifying area. And he doesn't like he's, he's fine with that. As long as no one bothers him, Mm -hmm. he drives his car in, he doesn't have to live in the neighborhood. He works in the pizza place. He drives home as long as no one's blaring public enemy Mm -hmm. or complaining about his wall of fame, fame. he's fine. He'll yeah. put up with Mook's bullshit, he'll put up with his son's bullshit. Um, he wants he he wants to be left alone.
1: And like all middle-aged <laughs> men yeah. who've been working hard their whole lives want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got extreme <laughs> suburbanite
0: fever. Yeah. Um and the thing is, he can't he can't be blamed for that, but he is in the way. Like yeah. he is a point of friction.
3: Yeah, absolutely just by existing. Yeah. Well, then it's that it's that bizarre mix of like, you know, entitlement, entitlement that like allows someone to say like, look, you know, I'm I'm not part of the problem. Therefore, I'm not going to do anything to solve it. Right? Like this is like <laughs> Therefore, ha-
0: I must be part of the yeah, solution. Yeah, exactly. Therefore, yeah. yeah, therefore
3: I'm good. Or or maybe you're wrong. Have you ever thought of that, you know, like that kind of bullshit that you get from people is is what sal i think best represents and there's a kind of fucking you know obviously like i just i the best the thing about this is that you know he is not redeemed in the end of this at all right like this movie ends on no
1: nobody is oh god
3: no this movie ends so well on this point and so as sal you know obviously i think we've set him up to be the kind of like obviously the the fulcrum right The, the access point of this fucking film um or are we moving on to another character yeah. that kind of builds off of that? Because we've, um, we've done a
0: little Radio Raheem already. I'll, I want to go all the way to the other side of the spectrum and talk about mayor now. Demare. Uh Demare. Probably my favorite character.
1: Yeah, he's like the homeless drunk that wanders the streets. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: he, they have a town drunk. They yeah. have the block drunk. And uh, he it's He is mayor. He is an incredibly charismatic figure. Everybody except for mother, sister, and uh, the kids seem to like him. Uh, there's a specific peanut peanut gallery that gives him a lot of shit yeah
1: there's some there's some teenagers that find him a little yeah annoying. martin
3: lawrence
0: is among them in yes. this group as well yeah really well done but it, it seems like everyone mostly suffers him with some amount of levity yeah he's he's been around forever and people don't want to necessarily put up with his shit but as long as long as he doesn't loiter as long as he keeps moving
1: people are fine with he's it. not bothering anybody. Yeah.
0: Uh, and he also provides our, uh, he provides our title card um, telling Mook to remember to do the right thing, to always do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mook responds almost iconically. It's like, is that it? Yeah. And <laughs> I like, yeah, that's it. And this is, you know, and then he goes and delivers a pizza. And this line is, you know, super duper important as it, uh, Mook's, uh, Mook's final act, in the or not his his penultimate act, uh, the one in the climax, is to throw a trash can through a window to ignite
1: mm-hmm. said riot. Mm-hmm. And
0: the mayor's role in the scene just before this arson vandalism occurs is to try to be Martin Luther King. Yeah, yeah. the Martin Luther King surrogate in this film is an old drunk guy. Yes, uh, it is. It is a guy who has been absolutely decimated by the system. Um, he has a tragic tale that he tries to relate to the children that they don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he has five kids and he can he simply cannot provide for them. Yeah, the world, Peace above all else. Right. Yeah. He, and, and yet, you know, he, he has relented to the idea that it is better for him to walk around uh, for the rest of his life as a ghost mm-hmm. than to fall on his shield, attempting to do something about it. Right. Um, which ties pretty nicely unless you guys have something else to talk about with the mayor specifically.
3: um, Well, first, like you said, very, really, really great charismatic role. Right. Like, and I think too, we've we've discussed, it's hard to hate the guy. Well, and um, you know, he, part of the tragedy of the character, right. But part of the like inherent sadness to him is that he's misunderstood even by the, you know, earlier, the, the the younger generations that he interacts with. There's a great scene where he kind of gets mocked by this like group of teenagers, When, you know, he's like, why are you the way you are? Why don't you have any ambition? Why don't you try to make something of yourself? And he tells him, you know, like, you don't know what it's like when, you know, you've got like a family of kids who you you can't feed and you can't look at the, you know, your wife in the face because of, you know, you're a failure in in the station. And just to it's show,
1: like the, you don't know my pain.
3: Well, and but two, like his struggle, like being a kid, what, or being a young man, what in the in the twenties, thirties, and forties in America, not the same struggle no. as a as a as a similarly aged man in the nineteen eighties in America. And the fact that there's so there's so little like empathy or even concern about that understanding, right? Like it is literally devoid, you know, uh, it is it is absent from their experience not that they mock him, right? They mock him to his face about that kind of stuff, right? You don't know my pain. And they don't, right? And I think that's one of the more interesting dynamics. And once again, just adds this fucking next layer of of like just fucking complexity into um, the broader wide kind of cultural uh, uh, uh,
0: conversation that's happening in this film. Well, maybe maybe those kids are right this time. Mm -hmm. Maybe that attitude will actually pull them out of this. It's like whatever. Why didn't you just get a job? Like like, maybe it will. But odds are. Good, it's not going to work. Like, there is the history of this is long and fraught and horrible, which is that's why the mayor is in the film, uh, playing the dual role of that history and of again, MLK, who comes up at the very end. But, Nicole, you're
1: Oh, I was just going to say and you know, if we if we just move out to uh sorry to bother, you, you know, the job market doesn't get better in the future necessarily yeah, yeah, yeah. either. Yeah. <laughs> no one
0: could have predicted.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, who could have seen it coming. So he's um yeah, no, so um a great character um plays a pivotal role in the film overall and uh really really awesome. I love it one of my favorites. But, but
1: he's just always there getting oh, in everyone's so good. business, but yet you know, not not meddling too long.
0: It, it, and he doesn't, again, he doesn't loiter, unlike the Umbrella Club.
1: Yes. Um, yeah. the well, they just of- have their <clears throat> spot. They're like the three guys that, I, I guess they're just right above, like, because you get a sense that the mayor is mostly homeless, but the the, the Umbrella guys may just be have somewhere to sleep at night but not much more than that yeah Mm. i mean
0: their clothes are nicer at a minimum um and they they're just shooting the shit they're they're iconic is being overused here and i apologize for that but just three guys sitting around talking about nothing all day long Mm -hmm. uh those three characters are ml and
1: they all have um at least one or two of them you know probably have just as much of a drinking problem as the mayor does. <laughs> yeah, but they're like, sitting they're down. Like they're not exempt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the problem, the only
0: reason the mayor gets called out for it is because he walks around all the time. Yeah. <laughs> when he's sitting down, no one cares. Well, that's the hygiene. I mean, you gotta have- A little a, bit of that, yeah. But um, where the mayor doesn't necessarily introduce quandaries, he, he just sort of throws in platitudes. Uh, these three guys spend all of their time uh, pontificating to each other about the quandaries of the day. Yes. Um, yes. And those two, three characters are Sweet Dick Willie, ML, well, just, ML just ML, and yeah. Coconut Sid. <laughs> yes. Uh, hanging out in their weird hats and their overly prim clothes for it being 100 degrees outside. Absolutely. Uh, complaining about how the Koreans... Uh, yeah,
1: complaining about how like none of the businesses on the street are owned by blacks, even though it's a predominantly black neighborhood. Uh, and,
0: and the Koreans just got off the boat, so only like a
1: year ago, and like, they already own a business.
0: So what the hell is either right with them or wrong with us? And this is, you know, th- this is as much credence as this specific point is given, but it's enough because, in the same way, you know, sorry to bother you, can't wrap up cleanly because what would that even look like? I mean, there's no answer to that question. No, I no. mean,
1: and that's what I mean, and it's not even that it gets dwelled on but it does get brought up you know because you know
0: it's a permanent pain point for these people i mean why why is everyone fucked up like the these people live in borderline squalor and it's it's not as if they don't it it, the movie at least does not give the impression it's not like they're not trying something has just
1: something's not something has pushed
0: them here yeah absolutely well, they do, and they're, you know,
3: they're back and forth between it, too, which is that, you know, is it, is, is it my fault? Is it your fault? When someone identifies a problem, it's like, what the, you know, that, that isn't even going to solve the problem, you know? Like, well, yeah. Yeah. you know, and they, the ribbing and the kind of, like, way that they've adapted their lives um, is, is really good. They're one of my favorite parts of the scene, uh, so... um I'll we'll look it up real quick. Uh, Robin Harris plays Sweet Sweet Dick Willie, and um, he's my, my favorite one as well. Frankie Faison plays um, ML, and he has some really great roles. After this, he's had a longer career uh, in um, he's had a longer career in acting as well. Uh, he's a great in the in the Wire, of course. Yeah. He plays the police commissioner in the Wire. He's okay. fucking great in that, by the way. Um, so I love those guys, and they you know kind of form this fucking great comedic relief but also this kind of like broader commentary about like yeah they bring up the
1: commentary on the mm -hmm. neighborhood yeah Yeah, like and they don't have answers to these problems yeah
0: they don't have answers but but their role and it is a critical one is to recognize because most of these people are just ambling about most of the people we're going to talk about are just ambling about reacting to the world around them there are people that sit down and think about these things and they have no answers either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's, it's not a matter of, Oh, well, why didn't you think of that? Yeah. <laughs> they thought about opening a business. It didn't work. Yeah. Like, there's, there's,
1: just, there's barriers or whatever had you that made that not work. <laughs> they,
0: it was not an unconscious drift to where they got, or uh, it wasn't a conscious drift to where they got. They, it, something happened. Like they ended yeah. up here, um, and uh, they're not gonna take it, God damn it. Uh, in particular, Buggin' Out's not gonna take it, played by uh, John Carlo Esposito. Yeah, he's yes.
1: he's by far the most uppity of all of our folk.
0: He is aggressive, man.
1: Yes. He is
3: really fucking aggressive.
1: Well, and in the way that you know, as we talked about uh, Radio Rahim, he's just he has an impending presence. Mm-hmm. Buggin has a lot to say,
3: yeah. Social, social justice, yeah. Yes. Social justice is his, is his, uh, cause and there's some really great shit that kind of goes through this where
0: he also you know, wears
1: the more african prints. yeah like he doesn't he's not just wearing like sports jerseys and stuff Absolutely. like that so he presents himself a little bit differently
0: Yeah, he
3: sticks out
1: yeah in every
0: scene
3: well but more importantly right like when he sees a situation he feels he has to comment on it right there's mm-hmm. there is a clear element of the like political nature of every interaction that he has with people you know kind of going through it and it's one of those people I'm sure that you've met that just can't help but, like, not make an issue about something when they run into yeah. it. And the issue du jour, literally, for him, right, is the fact that when he goes in to get a slice of pizza. By the way, real quick thing about this, the economics behind Sal's famous pizzeria is that a slice of pizza is $1.50. Extra cheese is $2. $2. Like, yeah. I don't know if you caught up on that. But I was <laughs> yeah. like, like, nobody's getting extra fucking cheese. You order another slice if you want extra cheese. So um, one of the best things, though, is that when he goes in, right, when he goes into Sal's, he gets a pizza, upset about the fact there's none of cheese on it, um, uh, goes to sit down and enjoy his uh, very slim slice, uh, and of course uh, notices that for the first time, apparently, he's noticed uh, that on the wall of fame in Sal's famous pizzeria, uh, there are no black people on the wall, right? It is all Italian-American. I, just, I could, Now, because
1: uh, I remember pizza places have that thing with the pictures. Is it always just Italian-American? I guess I've never noticed one way or the other uh, before. That, is that or, a thing?
3: They're that or pictures of New York.
1: Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Um, yeah,
3: and now 9-11 commemorative pictures and plates. Okay, and like okay. That. Same thing, yeah.
1: Yeah, okay, yeah. So he is upset that there is no brothers on the wall, and then, you know... uh, Sal is like, this is an Italian place. I'm Italian. I'm the I'm, boss. I'm the boss. I want pictures of Italian Americans on the fucking wall.
0: I own th- I own the place. And that's the thing. Both, both sides have a point. Yeah. But the movie, and this is this is the crucial distinction where this isn't just like neoliberal hogwash. The movie's not both sides it. It's not saying <laughs> it's not saying they both have a point and they need to meet in the middle. It's saying they both have a point and something needs to give Mm -hmm. because this is, this is unstable. Like whether or not Sal can be in this neighborhood is in question. And it's not, it's, it's not at all apparent that this can be reconciled in a way that Sal or the community would be okay with. Mm -hmm. There's, there's a friction there that needs to actually be, um, or there's a tension there that has to actually be resolved. Um, and it may not be done amiably. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, but yeah, I mean that's really our point of conflict. So then, bugging out is is on this tirade. He's to, on a mission. He's on a mission to boycott Sal's because they do not have any yeah, pictures all of day. black individuals. Yeah, all day on the he's walls. going to
3: people in the neighborhood asking them to boycott. Yeah, and like everyone, night like the 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 Umbrella Club is like fuck off, man! Like you yeah. never did anything bad to me. Like get the fuck <laughs> out of here. Uh, the, the the rowdy teenage group of with Martin Lawrence at all, are fucking
0: not having any of it anyway. They're like, where
1: else are we gonna eat, man? Yeah, like, really we like, grew Good. up on Sal's.
0: <laughs> yeah, they are. They are a prison to this institution. Yeah, uh, he does get Radio Rahim on his team, though. Uh, yes, much. Yeah, much, and uh, that
1: ends up being
0: to the benefit of nobody.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or to the benefit of the community. Um, they um, they kill Radio Rahim at the end of the film. And this is the point at which there's a really, really hard split in the critical base for this film, depending on whether you're black or white, about (laughs) how this film ends and about the degree to which it incites violence and is morally questionable. Um, But according to Spike Lee, and I do believe him on this just based on what I know about white people, um, He is always question. He is never actually questioned about whether or not Mook does the right thing by black people. The only people who who bring up the question of whether or not Mook did the quote unquote right thing, and in this case, it's it's assumed that that is to throw the trash can. Okay, we're talking about that that point specifically.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: (sighs) Apparently, black people just get that. They understand intuitively why that happens and that that's fine. and if I may, I, I want to throw in, even if I don't necessarily understand on that on that level why it's fine to throw the trash can. Um, the movie ends with two quotes. It ends with a Martin Luther King quote and a Malcolm X quote. Yeah. The, M- the Martin Luther King quote is a Gandhi style pacifist quote about how violence both degrades you and degrades the world, and mm-hmm. it's not ever worth entertaining. And the Malcolm X quote is...
1: It's like the tamest Malcolm X quote he could have found. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: yeah I, found, I found an alternative that they could have used. Um, uh, quote, the goal of Dr. Martin Luther King is to give Negroes a chance to sit in a segregated restaurant beside the same white man who had brutalized them for 400 years. <laughs> um, and that's not in the film, but it very much could have been. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the version, the version they went with instead, because they wanted to have the picture of Malcolm X and uh, MLK shaking hands, uh, is one where it's like, look, I don't condone violence. I condone self-defense. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do, you view, um, how do you view vandalism as self-defense? When Sal—no, uh, let's back up a little bit. Radio Raheem is killed by the cops and is driven away. Yeah, and the in this climactic scene, it's Sal and the Italian Sal and Sons standing in front of the pizzeria, in front of the pizzeria, with the entire community facing them,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and the community wants blood for this. Yeah. like there yeah. is something it's has palpable. to something has to give. Yeah. The mayor is trying to mediate. He's trying to say no, 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 he's no, no. no. Let's not Gandhi do gun. this. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's die gracefully and mook does something that i think in a very just obvious way is the right thing he doesn't throw a punch he does the mlk thing he does violence to property mm-hmm. yeah and the distinction between property and life is the one the white people don't get right <laughs> when they ask spike lee that question right because there is this sacrosanct nature again to the contract in the same way that yeah. it was the libertarian fantasy in the previous film um there's this valuation on property that if it doesn't supersede the value of human life it's weirdly equivalent yeah Mm
1: -hmm. yeah
0: um and what mook did was basically save sal's life by moving him out of the neighborhood yeah absolutely um and that's that's a great ending um, considering that, that something weird had to happen, something violent, quote unquote, had to happen. And the least violent thing that could happen is property damage. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like that's that's the most graceful way this could have ended. Um, and in that way, I think the ending of this movie is fantastic, um, at least compared to... What most people seem to have appraised it as, in the same way, Sorry to Bother You was poorly reviewed for its ending. This movie also very poorly reviewed for its ending. Yeah, I, was, I
1: didn't read enough uh, reviews. On no, this I was. I,
0: I, I wanted to know because yeah, the, be, the scuttlebutt be around curious. this movie was, yeah. was heated.
3: Well, and and you know, for for Spike Lee too is you know his his career has been really fascinating, right? Like, I don't find him to be a filmmaker whose films I consistently enjoy and love. Right. Yeah. But like this film to me is something uh, is my, is my favorite Spike Lee film. Um, And that once again, the, the, the nuance and complexity that he, that he handles this issue with is something that I think is really fucking commendable. is And um, it's something that for a lot of his other films, he rarely tends to adopt, you know? So like this early part of his career with like things like, Um, she's got to habit, or like jungle fever, especially where there's some really fucking tense shit in jungle fever. Um, uh, He is approaching the, this, this conflict from a very, you know, um, uh, I think a very admirable perspective. And the fact that he doesn't feel that he has to like sermonize on this, right? Like I think is probably the most well thought out and constrained component of, of his crucial decision on how to end this film. And, Secondarily, right, like the ambiguity of the of the way in which the characters are presented, the complexity of the interrelationships, um, the fact that larger structural elements are uh, referred to but never made the the essential point of what's happening. Yeah, within I like this. that.
1: He covers a lot of ground without like burdening you with it. Like it's there. We're gonna we're aware of it mm-hmm. uh, I mean, and there's no clear answer to that. We're not going to like pretend that there is. Well,
3: and a lot of times too, right? It's so cool because he kind of like allows him, you know, allows those things to kind of sneak in there usually through the fucking uh, 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 umbrella club, right? Yeah. Like that's where those things can kind yeah. of creep yeah. in a little bit. Um, but two, and I think this is once again, like even making Mookie, right? The character that he plays has this kind of bizarre ambiguity to him, right? Like clearly, like yeah, I said Yeah, because I
1: mean he's he's not a great employee. He's a deadbeat dad. He has a relationship yeah, sort Yeah, we of, haven't even talked yeah, about. Yeah, he is he is not necessarily in a relationship, but he has a kid with Rosie Perez. Yeah.
3: Tina in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh who's his who's a young, <laughs> young Hispanic woman who yeah. his child is living with her family and he lives separately with his sister. Yeah, and um, he's
1: not that involved in their lives from what we can tell. Like he kind of goes over there for a booty call every once in a while, but he's not as present as she would even like him to be. And he's certainly not doing a whole lot in terms of support.
3: Yeah. And uh, once again, right. So like even the character he picks for himself has this, you know, has this bizarre kind of fucking portrayal, which is that, you know, you know, there, you know, he's not the hero of this film, but rather finds himself based on the fact that he, he, um is in a you know in a in a long-standing relationship, right? Like with, with Sal and the brothers and that what that place means to that community. But then at the same time feels also obviously connected because you know, Mookie walking around is clearly like a site normally people have to interact with, right? Like he has his own custom bullshit, ridiculous handshake with everybody around. And when he passes by bugging out, bugging out reminds him to stay black, you know? Yeah, like, it's it's, really, so good. it's like really great shit. Um that Mookie. Uh, kind of crosses these barriers because of course his child is with a Hispanic woman in the film too. And he's
1: actually a little uh, like, he's not thrilled that he has a kid named Hector.
0: Yeah. No. Like (laughs) like
1: that doesn't thrill him.
0: No, he, he's got a finger in every pie, which is fit. And that's why it's fitting that Spike plays that specific character because he had to write a story where he can be at least a little sympathetic to all of the characters, Mm -hmm. except for maybe Mm -hmm. Pino, who's just a piece of shit. But, um, other than other than the one guy, like we're looking at the cops now, just the yeah, cops up are in this pretty scene.
1: stereotypical yeah. for cops. Uh,
0: they're two of the most <laughs> delightfully stereotypical. Like the cops. only way
1: they could be more stereotypical is if they were eating donuts in the opening scene, and I just mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I yeah. they were probably hired from a strip club. Yeah, uh, it's they're fantastic. No, the the uh, oh my god, the yeah. um, <laughs> it's. Got it in the background. So there's like watching them cruise. Yeah.
3: So there's a couple other. Um, I don't know. I mean, shit. I just kind of. I, I got some final thoughts on the film. But if there's any other kind of minutia or details in the film or other characters we don't want to
0: address, uh, you know, we could definitely do that instead. Um. Let's see. I'll just run down the characters we haven't touched yet. Mother, sister. Anyone want to say anything about her? I
1: mean, she's like you know your local. She's like the local lady that looks up over the block and admonishes the people as she needs to. And she has kind of a, you can tell she's had a bit of a sordid past because she has, she's not fond of the mayor because he reminds her of all of the men that were alcoholic and that she's had bad relationships with over the years. Yeah.
3: Well then, you know, I mean, it's tough too, because right. We've never experienced the kind of like, I mean, if you had like ambition as like a young black man in this country in the 1930s, I don't think we understand hopelessness to a large degree like they do. And the fact that, you know, the, uh, the mayor like has fucking his station in life as it, as such as it is, right. Like is so hard to fucking, you know, it it really, it really requires a lot of empathy and imagination to kind of understand that tragedy. The fact that she's the, well, the only, the oldest female character in the film also kind of lays. Mm -hmm. That she comes from that era as yeah, well. Yeah, no, right? she.
1: I mean, she understands, yeah. but she's also been hurt by. She the doesn't same want to be reminded of. fucking Yeah, a, man.
3: And yeah. That, but at more she's than anyone, she's watching the kids. Yeah, more yeah. than anyone, she represents this kind of older, you know. I don't want to call it more feminine kind of control, but one, once again, that that, that desire it's maternal. For, yeah, maternal. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Desire for, for she's mother and sister. Peace. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't
1: <laughs> get more. Yeah. <laughs>
3: And but but true right at the end of the scene you know at the end of the um, of the riot scene uh, so to speak right like when they when Sal's is burning um, we get a, we get a shot of Sal and his sons who have been you know uh, sequestered off off the uh, by the mayor uh, across the street behind these iron gates and as the camera pulls out we hear this you know cry of just no 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 over and over again and the camera pulls back out to see its uh, mother sister shrieking, you know, at the scene in front of her. And as Demayer comes over to kind of comfort her and move her away, we see Mookie and his sister fucking just like, like, uh, un, un, you know, kind of shocked. I mean, just utterly stunned by what they've kind of seen before them, just sitting on the curb, you know, seeing what is, what's, what's happened in front of them. It's a really great fucking sequence and moment in the movie as well. And um, it just kind of like pulls itself out of there, right? Like it just kind of like, you know, comes in and, and shows us the kind of like final kind of like emotional import of what all this means. But um yeah, as we kind of head into it, it's, uh it's quite good. <laughs> uh While they're on screen, the Koreans. Great family. And, you know, obviously another point of contention and difficulty in the film as well. Well, it
1: is, it is one of those things you you like, I, uh, cause I, I don't, I don't know how it works, but it's like, how come, you know, all the Vietnamese people have like nail shops. Like, I mean, There's some sort of system in place that makes it so that these people, like, have this particular skill and can open this kind of business. And the Koreans, um, that's their stereotypical. The Koreans are always grocers. Even the Asians will tell you, they're like, oh, yeah, the Korean are the grocer. The Vietnamese, they do the nails. So there's some sort of institution (laughs) here. (laughs) That like helps these people get set up in this particular thing. And it's something that the black community does not have. So I don't know the ins and outs of this, but it is a fucking stereotypical thing.
3: Well, ironically, too, it's a wider support network outside the country so that, you know, you had joking about the General South Chicken, Um, the fucking (laughs) documentary on General South Chicken shows that kind of evolution and the fact that there was this like broad support network, right? Like countrywide, but also internationally, right? Where there was always a home base they could draw upon uh, that wasn't affixed with, you know, that didn't have the kind of like racial tinge to it as well. Uh, But also too, right? Like their place in the kind of hierarchy of, of, of issues here is clearly laid out, right? As Sal's lies burning across the street, when the crowd turns towards the Koreans at the end of that scene, you know, he's there fending it off and, you know, yeah, what he does he say? Yeah, he
1: doesn't want that shit to happen. In yeah, his what world.
3: does he say, right? He yeah. says, I black. Yeah. I black, <laughs> you know, to this group of people that have just done this to another business
0: right across the street. And in the end, they're, yeah. Yeah, they just, they go along with it. And yeah. I, I, I love that scene because this is literally like, it's almost literally, I guess, a pitchfork mob and the Korean guy's swinging a broom yes. at them, trying to keep them off. And what actually keeps them at bay is this very, very weird question about whether they are actually black or white. Mm-hmm. And they decided they're black enough. Yeah, exactly. I've heard,
1: I've yeah. heard a Korean uh, comedian say that like blacks and Koreans get along because they're both like always angry. Yes. like So they they have some similarities, evidently.
0: Absolutely. <sighs> That tra- I guess that track's in the movie. The Koreans are pretty angry in the Oh, movie.
1: yeah. Like, they're fucking annoyed at everything. Like, <laughs> like when Raheem tries to buy batteries 20D batteries. 20D it's, it's, yeah. it's quite an interaction.
3: Yeah, it didn't need to be a confrontation, but it was. But it was. It was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I saw we were ch- kind of joking, too. Like, why are they bitching at their best customer? That guy needs 20D batteries every 13 hours. Like, what the fuck?
1: Yeah, like, they should know. They should know. Like, he comes up. The the guy needs batteries. Like, what else is he going to possibly need?
0: Uh, Smiley, the weird little off character who almost wasn't in the film. Yeah. Oh, um, the
1: the mentally uh, handicapped guy. Well, he has, like, the nice touch at the end because he's going around (sighs) selling the Martin Luther King, Malcolm X handshake things. And, you know, he's basically a nuisance because he's just walking around the neighborhood following everybody. But at the end, when the pizza shop gets burned down, he goes and puts the little picture that he carries around of uh, Martin Luther King. And and you're like, Oh, that's all they had to fucking do was just put up one of Smiley's fucking pictures. But I get why he didn't fucking do that too, because it's fucking Sal's place. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Like it kind of wraps it up in like a, sugary like a fucking Shit. sickly uh
0: i could have done without Smiley in this movie yeah, yeah. totally i don't
3: know what it is I, I don't and i'm not too upset about it in the end Yeah, i'm not I upset fuck,
1: about it but it was it was a little
3: yeah it, it was did, a little it, control it's it feels like spike lee lost a bet or owed someone money or so i don't know needed a favor somehow like but it just see it's it seemed like a compromise that's all i'm saying so yeah. It's a little too cute. Yeah, not my favorite component of the film, but definitely um, there.
1: But the the radio guy, Samuel L. Jackson's oh. radio DJ. Uh what's his uh Mr. Senior
0: Love Daddy. Yeah, Ooh. he keeps us he on keeps us abreast of, of the weather yeah. and
1: just what's going Love on. FM. Last
3: on your dial, but first We're in your heart.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean he's he's just good local colour.
3: Yeah, you know, oh, man, he but, gives
1: us he gives us a little play by play when it's important,
3: but shit too, like the the so one of the things like so we've been rewatching this as we've been kind of going through, and I've seen it about three times and and since we've in about a week, the fucking transitions between scenes in this is really fucking well done, right? Even even scenes that that don't have the kind of like bridge between them a lot of times or st- the fucking editing yeah, side, because this is more slice done. of
1: life than it is, you know, like a fucking story. I mean, we're just kind of going from person to person mm-hmm. on the street.
3: Yeah. And Samuel L. Jackson with like the longest DJ shift in the history of radio it fucking oversees this whole day, and 12 right? hour
0: strong man. Well, fucking,
3: well, I've got to tell you, it is air conditioned in there, which is why I think he only, the only reason he did it.
0: Well, it's, it, it is funny. He does have that specific perspective. He is the only, universally chipper force in this entire yeah. neighborhood and the reason for that is pretty easy to see he sits in a chair in an air conditioned room all day and plays tunes yeah like he is he he is the perfect lackadaisical side of this yeah, he has he's, he's insulated he's got the dream job yeah yeah and he's literally insulated literally, from everything yeah. that's going on yeah
1: i mean the pizza place doesn't even look like they have ac because man they are oh, no they sweating don't. like they, fucking crazy this whole no, time the they, other- they
0: say the ac guy won't come near the neighborhood without a police escort
3: yeah that's no. like Sal's first line in the movie. The one thing too, though, is that when we take up the radio guy, right? Like when he, because he even goes through as like one of the transitions, right? This like laundry list of fucking music, musical artists, and of course, conspicuously left off of that is Public Enemy. Like the only the <laughs> most prominent fucking, which is the
1: only yeah thing yeah. that's actually played no, yeah. during the whole
3: movie. But once again, right? This kind of like, you know, this 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 more. I
1: guess I guess Public Enemy that would have been like the biggest, baddest, most aggressive stuff that you could get up and. In- to up to that point well it's,
3: it's black it's black power music yeah. right like and that's not he's not including a lot of that music in, you know none of that music in the laundry list of, mm-hmm. of music that he puts forward of he's the kind got of like, like, teddy
1: Pettigra- cook, like teddy sam cook you know Pettigras everything yeah exactly yeah like delphi like and he's got a lot of that older Keith
3: sweat mm-hmm. and so it doesn't really fucking pick up on the kind of like aggressive fucking you know modern power movement that's kind of going on here as well and you know the the Dr. King Martin uh, Emma, uh, Dr. King uh, uh, Malcolm X kind of dichotomy that's kind of played off with each other here, right? Is there is like you know people have like either consciously or unconsciously kind of like adopted either sides, right? Yeah. And it's a great framing device within the film too, because then you can kind of see you know as the story develops and as the fucking tension builds within the film, and we're in a great tension building moment here right now, where like characters looking straight into the camera, go on these like racial epithet diatribes, yeah. you know, just fucking into the screen. Well,
1: because everyone has their own racism towards someone. Yeah. And of know. course it's
3: broken up by the, by love daddy, right? Like everybody could chill the time yeah. out, time chill out, time out. Let's fuck stop out.
1: Fucking hate. Not everyone.
3: And so I am, you know, he is great for one thing. Cause it is Samuel Jackson, like young, young ish Samuel Jackson. He's still like 50 in this movie. It looks like probably. Yeah. <laughs> but it's so well done the the his you know his his tenor his fucking pacing everything is so you know guy, it this is before he's fucking like famous, famous, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. This is like no. before snakes on a plane, fucking jump the shark kind of shit, you know? Yeah. Like, this is
1: before, uh, he did Tarantino. Like I think Tarantino really put him on the map. With oh, Pulp, Pulp fiction. fiction yeah. yeah. Yeah.
3: And, uh, what's the, the Gina Davis one? Um, long, oh, good night. long, long Goodnight. Good good night. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's
0: a good movie.
1: That is a great, that's a, it's a great bad movie. Yes. Oh
0: th- yeah. It knows what it is. Um, <laughs> I think we're good to go into final thoughts. I don't see any other characters so here. I fucking like, okay, so the initial ending, right? The, the, the fucking
3: climax of the film is the riot scene or the, the burning of Sal's yeah. and fucking, all right. So the day, new ma at the end of this is a new day. Right. And fucking Mookie gets up and he goes to Sal's place. Um, and I fucking love this. I love I fucking love the scene. Get paid. Uh, yeah. yeah, he's fucking, still
1: he's still gonna wants get, to my get my paid. fucking paycheck.
3: Yeah, because yeah. he didn't get paid. Though he
1: did incite the riot that in turn caused and Sal's restaurant to th- burn down. To
3: burn, but fuck, fuck you, pay me, right? Like, yeah, you like I worked. Fuck, man. And so <laughs> Sal, you know, after arguing with him, and and you know, once again, it's a fucking weird scene because there's a dynamic that you know, Mookie.
1: Like, Mookie's, a in a way, responsible for this. Yeah, Mookie
3: meant a lot to him about, and before this, right, Mookie mm-hmm. had meant a lot to him. And so Sal, and once again, that kind of fucking aggression that kind of led to the very uh, co- uh, confrontation happening the way it did the night before with Radio Raheem, fucking Sal balls up his money and fucking throws it at him. And he throws him twice as much of than than he mm-hmm. should yeah, have. Yeah,
1: because he gets paid 250, $250 a week plus a week. tips. Yeah,
3: plus tips. And so he fucking, you know, tells him, essentially, just throws this money at him, and fucking uh Mookie takes it he just fucking takes it fuck off like I got got and man like it is so fucking great that there wasn't this well he doesn't
1: feel that bad for Sal because he knows that Sal is gonna get insurance money for this and that he can actually start over so I mean you don't get a sense that he like feels that bad like like Sal is taking this very hard but you know like Mookie knows that Sal's going to be okay. Fucking like, it's not the end of the world and for him. It also
0: wouldn't matter whether he was or not. Uh, like, I, I don't think Mook cares. Okay. It's not for him to fucking, like, forgive him either. Like, yeah. this is
3: the thing. Like, it's fucking, like, you know, like, Radio. Rah- the, he, his response, Sal is responsible for Radio Rahim's death. Whether he, fu- I mean, if, and, you know, it's not fucking up to, like, another black man. To fucking like pat him on the back and say it'll be a like fuck off like what is it like why do we gotta expect why do we have to expect a black person to fucking take on that role fuck it like you owe me money fucking pay me my money and fuck the fuck off it's so great like it's so it's so well done and it fucking totally belies this fact which is that at the core of a lot of like glory and this other horseshit so much of those fucking movies are about like when will the black characters finally accept the white character, right? There's this oh, every fucking one of them. And it's disgusting and sick. And in this movie, it doesn't happen because like the whole nonsense that people get into when they discuss these types of issues about, you know, having to say like, you know, cause if Sal was in an argument with someone about race relations, Sal would fucking use Mookie to say like, well, I have a black friend, yeah, you know, a like black
1: person. yeah, Like, like and you it's, know, that, I've, I'm I'm doing my part for affirmative fucking action. That's
3: such shit. It is such <laughs> shit. And the fucking just the 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 hypocrisy of Sal's of Sal comes out in the in in Radio Rahim, Radio Rahim and the fact that he fucking holds him in contempt that he has to pay him that he fucking that he's that he's incensed that he be asked to pay him the mo- to pay the money he owes him like like there would be some. That Mookie would, that he would expect Mookie to come to him like a fucking, like a child that has done wrong and ask for forgiveness before it happens. It's, it's, oh, like it is so tonally, it is so well executed by Spike Lee in this film. I love it. I love it. Oh, I love speaking
1: it. of tones, yeah, that's the other thing. Like just the whole, the whole vibe around this thing is just great. Like I said, it is very much a period piece at this point, but it just has, it has this great, just, just vibe
0: the fact that it all takes place on one block contributes tremendously to its aesthetic because they all they had to do was paint up this one stretch of road and then populate it and it spends the entire and the 90s, movie. And the,
1: well, the late 80s, early 90s, too, was a colorful time. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, you it could had a lot of pop.
3: He's wearing yeah. salmon shorts with an L.A. Dodgers jersey on top. <laughs> with, like, like,
1: <laughs> with, like, two-tone socks. Like, he very well may have two pairs of socks on right now.
0: Yeah, no, it, it, the look, I, the word cohesive comes to mind, but it's not really the right one. It, it's lived in. Like, yeah. these people all actually live here. And you spend, and again, because the movie doesn't spend time traversing territory, you get to have the lived in feel with them. And like, like I could draw, having watched this movie three times now, I could probably draw a map of this street mm-hmm. <laughs> and I could probably populate all the houses. Yeah. So like yeah. I know where everybody is and that's really cool. That's like, that's very good for grounding the movie. Yeah. Um, which is something most movies don't bother to do.
3: No, the cohesiveness of everything I think fits really well together. I think this is such a a well thought out film, right? Like it's not like oh, it's not executed to a fairly well. It doesn't feel constrained. Instead, it it feels livable, right? It feels breathable. Um, it feels it it it's malleable in the sense that the that the way the characters are portrayed, the language they use, their interactions with each other. All of it's leading towards something but not fucking deterministically, right? There's nothing that happens in this film that needs to happen for the plot, right? Yeah. And that's what's fucking so freeing about, like, kind of the the naturalism that Spike Lee kind of approaches within this. It's also, I think, too, and uh, several other of my favorite movies of his, it's also prevalent as well. Like, his movies to have a kind of like lived in feel, you know, like old clothing or something that just,
1: it's, I'd have to go back and why, cause it's, it's been sometimes Not every I've movie seen, he does yeah. is like
3: this, but there, when he, it, when, when he hits his no, stride we, like this, yeah, in he, film, he, in he, has, filmmaking. he
1: does have, this is definitely one of the high points, Absolutely, um, but yeah, I mean, he does sometimes he, it, sometimes everything fucking comes together. It Absolutely. doesn't always come together, but sometimes it does. And this is definitely one of those cases.
3: So I'm excited to kind of move on from this as well, right? Like, where do we go from here? Because we've seen some good movies so far, and you know, one by a, a young black uh, black filmmaker today that was, you know, both had racial elements to it, but kind of su- not subordinated them, but they were just part of a wider critique that he was yeah. kind of trying to make. This film most expressly is and has reference is, uh, uh, yeah, I think racial these ones by,
1: by far the core. more racial yeah. film
3: uh, at its core, yeah. Um, and yet, even then, right, like has a way of addressing those concerns and problems in a way that I don't think provides, you know, easy answers. So I think when these, like this is one of those great films that acts like a mirror, right? When you mm-hmm. talk to someone who's watched this film, and they tell you what they think it's about, you're, I think you're really getting an honest answer about how they understand race and in, in our culture and society. Yeah,
0: it, it, it's a very powerful Rorschach test. Yeah,
3: absolutely, and that's fucking great to make something like that, to make something that. Uh, reflective of, of the viewer as
0: well. takes a lot of fucking talent. So we're going to the 70s?
1: Well, I want to try... That's the rumor. I want to try a couple of these these Melvin Van Peoples films. I'd like to watch this Watermelon Man with you guys. Okay. And I'd like to at least maybe try to watch the movie he did before that, which I'm going to get the name of It's called Sweet Back. It's like four letters longer than that, but I... Um, we can give it it's, a shot. Yeah, it's going to be... It's gonna be uh, the Sweetback movie is going to be fairly loose in its storytelling. And I've never seen the whole thing before, so it'll be new. This watermelon is going to be a little bit more direct in how it handles its racial issues. Um, you know, but like done in, in a bit of a more campy way because it's a very early uh, example of a black director trying to tackle some of these race issues yeah. in film. <laughs>
3: So when, then, too, like where do we go from here as well? So um, I, been, I found this one director, and I didn't, I had not uh, seen anything by him before, um, but he was prevalent during the silent era in the nineteen twenties. His name's Oscar Micheaux, and if we wanted to uh, go back even further, we could see uh, who is lauded today as America's first black filmmaker. Oh, nice. As well. Okay, so, so I'm unfamiliar yeah. with this. Yeah, so it's just
1: like I was unfamiliar with this uh, this watermelon man to like was doing a little bit of research and okay. it's it's a wacky it's a wacky little film yeah. i know but
3: i'm excited to kind of like yeah. as, as we've like started you know we're like going backwards in, yeah. in black cinema <laughs> history now and so we're uh, but we're heading to the 70s we're heading to exploitation films as they're known well
1: this is this will be this will actually be the birth of blaxploitation Interesting. because uh
3: so this is the sh- genre he's, he's, that gives us yeah like, he's um,
1: credited for like basically inventing the genre so this is the genre animals.
3: that gives us things like later on in the 70s like shaft um, yeah. Coffee. Um, Cleopatra Jones. Cleopatra Jones. Um, what's the Dolomites? Yeah. And um, there's a couple other good ones in there as well. The Last
1: Dragon. Blackula
3: even Bla- as well. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> which, you know, we've watched a lot of these early Yeah, we've on actually well. covered some yeah. of this
1: because when we covered Pam Greer, we did kind yeah. of cross over into this yeah. this area. So.
3: so this will be like kind of the, the founding of I mean, but that this, well. will,
1: this will deal a little bit more with race relations than like the campier uh, – you know, like action movies that came out of that like shaft and stuff mm-hmm. like this will be this will be like a little bit more ambiguous in how it's dealing with stuff. And, and maybe. Um, yeah, it'll be a little bit more like front and center where it's like, you know, the shaft and the uh, even like the Superfly. It's 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 not it's not dealing with the, the race relations as like directly as something like do the right thing thing is you know it's it has its own storyline it just happens to have black people in it
3: well and i think too what's interesting is that it is not essentially commercialized right like yeah. you know i think you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah both of the films we watched for this program right like i wouldn't call them like movies that you know like show me the trailer you know like yeah. show me well, the show I me know, the poster do the right thing is
1: definitely considered an independent film sorry to bother you i'm just i'm not sure how that was like marketed was that kind it of, wasn't
3: was i hadn't fucking heard about it until it was yeah a, no, red, it's, it's box
0: office returns weren't high to begin
3: okay. with so. how the fuck do you <laughs> what's the trailer look like for that movie yeah so but then like so as we go back to like these early Mar- mario van peoples it's kind of like once again the same way that like I think maybe, you know, Sorry to Bother You has like a uh, We're seeing another rush or another kind of like another start of um. Because well, you know, the other cinema. one that we
1: didn't do that came out in the last couple of years would be like Get Out, which also has kind of like that weird pinpoint turn that you then have to resolve yeah. right out of the end of it. I mean, it handles it a little bit differently, but it had kind of like a similar type of structure, okay. Yeah. I and, think. Uh,
3: Jordan Peele's got another one coming out too soon as well, which I will be seeing in the theater okay. again okay. Um, uh, as well.
0: Oh, we could make... Peel a double feature when that happens. I would love to do that actually,
3: okay. and seeing it in the theater with a with a, with a
0: with an audience would be yeah, good you want well. an audience? Yeah, it'd be good. All right, let's wrap this thing up. We're done.
1: Yeah, we've been talking for a while.
0: Nicole, Ryan, thanks for being part of the Machination log. Thank you. Good morning.